speaking by the Spirit of God, says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, and <clears throat> I'm sorry, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. So we need to start thinking first about two churches. I want you to focus your attention on two churches this morning before you even begin to think about our church and this particular body and how this passage pertains to our particular church body. The first church that I want you to think about is the early church. 
the church that the apostles preached to, the 3,000 converted on the day of Pentecost, what happened when he, when he, the Holy Spirit, arrived? You, you remember the apostles are waiting, the promised spirit, and they're praying. They are praying for a supernatural outpouring of his spirit. And when this historical event happened, there was no doubt. Often when we think about things that are spiritual, we think subjective, my own personal spiritual experience. But this was not a personal experience. This was experienced by a large group of people. There was no mistake what was happening and that it was of supernatural character. You'll remember the, the sound of rushing wind. This was in the days before equipment that could produce such a sound and was no doubt supernatural in character. And then tongues as if of fire lighting on all of the apostles. This was supernatural in character. And you speak and you preach and the voice coming out is not the voice you've had in the past, but it's of a language that you don't speak. And yet now you do and understand supernatural gifting. And for what reason? The supernatural gifting was given to the apostles so that more supernatural gifting through the gift of the Holy Spirit could be imparted to those 3,000 believers. And what was the effect of the imparting of the Holy Spirit to those 3,000 believers? It was more gifts of the Spirit, more supernatural outpouring of the Spirit. The church abounded in the gifts of the Spirit, in love, in good deeds, in self-sacrifice, in hospitality, eating together, sharing, suffering. The Spirit had sent out an army with many gifts, but one mission, a great and grand mission for the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ. The commission came from Christ, and now the outpouring of the Spirit to fulfill that commission came on the church, and it was glorious. And the descriptions of those 3,000 converts living in community that we're going to read a little later is a glorious picture for us to behold. Now, we also have this morning a not-so-glorious picture. A not, the not-so-glorious picture is the Corinthian church. Now, what was it that we know characterized the Corinthian church? All of the opposites of what we saw with the early church. Instead of serving one another and having a spirit of unbridled generosity, instead it's immorality, selfishness, pridefulness, divisiveness. They're not on a mission for the glory of Christ, but they're on a mission to serve their own needs, to serve their own wishes, their own self-gratification. And they're claiming to have spiritual gifts, but by their behavior, they're not living in that otherworldly way, in that supernatural way that was demonstrated in practical ways. Instead, they're base, they're fleshly, they are of this world. And their claim to spiritual gifts is a claim of hypocrisy. And so this is the context that Paul is addressing this group of people. And what does he say? He tells them, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. This is a danger for us too. For us to be ignorant of spiritual gifts and of the working of the Spirit in various ways is something that the Holy Spirit does not desire for us as well. We must not be ignorant about his work and his coming. Paul goes on, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so we see here, the purpose of the gifts is to proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ to the praise and to the glory of God. So any gifts that you have that are spiritual in nature that you are using, the ultimate goal, the ultimate end, as each of our ends is individually to glorify God, also corporately as a body, we bring Christ praise and glory by proclaiming his lordship to all the earth. That is the purpose of gifts. And he goes on. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. So there is unity in spiritual things. There is unity in spiritual, uh, spiritual gifts in that they proclaim that lordship. We have a true leader in Christ, and as a result, we are no longer to be led astray by mute idols. We can look to Christ through his Holy Spirit, to, through gifts given to the church, and we don't need to find wisdom in the mute idols that the world finds wisdom in. We don't need to go to Oprah Winfrey to find out how to live our lives. We do not need to go to Dr. Phil. We do not need to go to pop psychology or to the ways of this world, worldly thinking outside of Jesus Christ, devoid of his Holy Spirit, because that's what we were before we were Christians. Before we had Christ, we were led astray by mute idols. And he's telling them that, that their religion before, it's a contrast, was devoid of the Spirit. It was as successful as a man who's blind trying to watch a television that's muted. That is not going to be a successful endeavor, and it will be the same for us if we're led astray by idols instead of the Spirit, instead of led by the power of the Spirit under Christ's lordship. Now, there's a danger here. The danger is for us to take these spiritual gifts that have been given to us as a body and to interpret these gifts as being applied individually only, to see them as being our gifts personally, individually. Our spiritual gifts are not our spiritual gifts. What I mean by that is our spiritual gifts are to be used for everyone, are to be used for the benefit of the whole body, not for our personal satisfaction. And there's a great danger if we start viewing the commands of Scripture that talk about things that are for us corporately, that are true for us corporately as a group of believers, and instead we take them and make them individual commands to us with just us and our individual Bible. To give you an example, flip real quickly to 1 John 2.27. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. And we'll actually start with verse 26. If you were to take this passage out of context and to apply this to your individual walk, this would wreak havoc on your spiritual life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, and this is you plural, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things. And this is true and not a lie, and just as it has been taught you, you abide in him. If you're to take that individually, it would mean we have no need of teachers in the church. All we need is the Holy Spirit. We don't need authority. We don't need men who have been given the office of teaching. And so if we take that passage and individualize that, it does great uh, damage to the to the truths of scripture and it does damage to our own souls likewise if we see our spiritual gifts as for ours only for our personal benefit individually as individual units we don't see why these have truly been given let me give you an example it's christmas time is coming right and 
uh, some of you are planning on buying gifts for your parents. And when you're looking at, at your mother and you're saying, I want to give her a gift, uh, you can do two th- to give two types of gifts. You can give a gift for her personal benefit, and she will enjoy it, such as an iPod. If you want to give your mom an iPod, maybe she hasn't uh, caught on to the technological craze of, of iPods, and you know that she takes walks and she can listen to all of her music on an iPod if she gets that. Now, that will be good for her personal benefit. It has personal headphones, and uh, she will have enjoyment of that gift. But a gift of greater benefit for the entire household would be a mixer, because an iPod... An iPod gives music to mom. A mixer gives cake to everyone. (laughs) Likewise, this is how the gifts of the Spirit function. They're given to individuals. Mom is truly given a mixer, but they're for the mutual benefit of everyone. This is how the Holy Spirit works. And there is diversity. There is diversity we see in the gifts of the Spirit. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's for the common good of everyone. There is diversity in the gifts, but there's never division in the gifts of the Spirit. There's diversity in that not everyone is given the same gift, but there's never division because it's the Holy Spirit. He is the one who, through his outpouring, is using these gifts for the common good of everyone. He doesn't give gifts to promote individuals, to make individuals rise above the others, but to use that individual's gifts to build everyone up. It's a problem when someone comes into a church and they start to say, I have spiritual gifts and my spiritual gifts need to be used. And you must allow for me to use my spiritual gifts in the ways that I dictate. And so a man like this comes into a church and he has a certain set of gifts. Maybe he believes he's a teacher or gifted in this way. And what he really is, is he's a personally ambitious man. He has not a concern for the common good, but he's an enemy of that common good, driven by his own blinded personal ambition. And he is a divisive man. And so enemies of the common good proclaim their spiritual gifts that they've been given. And they insist that others allow them to use those gifts. Personal ambition is the enemy of the common good. And so the Spirit, as he gifts us, he gifts us towards the others in the church, not towards ourselves, inwardly focused. If you look down at verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, all these gifts that he has mentioned, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the, the diversity and the unity come through the spirit. Diversity through different gifts, unity through drinking from a single source. As we are drunk on the spirit, we, as members, God sets us apart and he sends us out on an office. He sets us off, charging us to fulfill a duty. Why diversity in the gifts? Is it diversity for diversity's sake? Certainly not. The problem with all the talk of diversity in our country is that it doesn't really have a purpose, other than the possible purpose of guilt over past racism. And this is no foundation for a movement. This is no foundation for social change. Diversity in the church exists towards a specific purpose, And that diversity is serving 
the unity of the church. So diversity of gifts in the church are made for the sake of uniting the church. Celebrate diversity. You may have seen signs, celebrate diversity. No, we celebrate unity, but through diverse means. We celebrate the unity that comes with our head, Jesus Christ, as his body. Look at the church on Pentecost and after Pentecost, after the pouring out of the Spirit. Please turn with me to Acts 2, starting at verse 36. And we see a glimpse of what this looks like, fleshed out in practice. This is the tail end of Peter's sermon in which he is drunk off of the Holy Spirit. You'll remember the accusations against him is that he's filled with wine. He says, no, it's 9 a.m. I'm not drunk. And he explains the filling of the Holy Spirit, what it looks like to drink off of that spirit. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What we see here, we can't forget, what we see here is otherworldly. It's been handed down from heaven through the the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who's causing all of these effects. Conviction an abandonment of sin, exercising hospitality, worship, exorbitant generosity. The diversity of gifts given was a result of that most important gift, the Holy Spirit. It was a result of the Holy Spirit. We, we hear much of diversity in academia today, but diversity without a driving force, without a unifying principle, without a cause, only leads to further division, strife, perversity. Only the Holy Spirit can create a radical commitment to a collective like the church and her mission to save souls. Communism tried to, tried to create and tries to create this communal living. How does it create to, try, try to create doing it? Well, jailing dissenters and the barrel of a gun. That's the only way that a, through the force of political power that this can be created. And this is an artificial creation. Likewise, Uh, For the baby boom generation, uh, late 60s, early 70s, the idea of free love and living communally in this way. But free love was not a unifying principle for two reasons. It was not free and it was not love. 
It was not love in that it was motivated by sexual gratification and lust, drug use, uh, rock and roll. And it was not free because it came at a great cost. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison. And so the idea of having a group unity created by sex, drugs, and rock and roll led to Jim Morrison bloated and dead in a Paris bathtub. And that's what that unifying force could create. That's what chemicals can create. What about other fellowship that's created artificially? How about Starbucks? Starbucks exists to create not only coffee. They couldn't sell coffee at the prices that they try to sell coffee at. They're selling an experience, an experience of fellowship. Sure, Janie, I'd love to hear about your problems at work. Let's go to Starbucks because overpriced pastry and highly caffeinated drinks can make those stories much more enjoyable. And so what you have is an artificial creation of fellowship, getting together, having coffee, and it's largely drug-induced as well. And that's what Starbucks exists for, to provide artificial fellowship. But it's not true fellowship. It can't provide true unity. It can't provide what's really needed, the work of the Spirit causing us to die to self and to live for others. That is fellowship. Now, I can relate to the Corinthian church and my description of the Corinthian church, of their, their schism, of their self-service. I can relate to the sins that were uh, alive and well in that church because I see that. I see that in front of me. But this otherworldly, supernatural outpouring of the Spirit is something that is beyond our grasp, beyond our perception. It's something that needs to be attained by wholehearted reliance on the Holy Spirit. The Corinthians didn't rely on that Holy Spirit. They, lifted, they relied on natural gifts, proclaimed those gifts, and used them to wound others rather than to heal. The 3,000-plus converts were about healing, about unity, about love for one another. They proved to one another that each member was a part of the body. They put their money where their mouths were. For the body, verse 14 says, is one member, is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? I'll, I'll cast this analogy in another way. We, we know this analogy about the body parts working together and, and uh, ultimately talking to each other in this analogy. Let's think about a home and the way that a home functions, the way that the parts of that home work to create the atmosphere in that home. In fact, let's get more specific and talk about the baker's home. I don't think they're not here this morning, but let's talk about Stephen and Sebra's home. When you come in off of their kitchen, they have a wood-burning stove. And it's a really nice atmosphere when it's a cold night and they have that wood-burning stove going and people are sitting at the couch that's in that little living room off of the, off of the kitchen. It, it pro provides a warm and inviting atmosphere. But let's, for the sake of... Uh, of thinking through this, say that when we're not in the bakers and when the bakers aren't there, that the parts of the home start to speak to each other. And the couch is honestly getting very jealous because people come into the baker's home and they say, how romantic, wood-burning stove. Now that's romance, that's ambiance. And the couch is getting jealous, and why? Because the couch doesn't understand that it's not really the wood-burning stove that is to be enjoyed. 
because a wood-burning stove by itself doesn't bring enjoyment to anyone. The Holy Spirit in our body is the fuel and fire for this home. It is the fuel and the fire. And so the couch gets jealous and starts saying the warmth here is because of the use of that gift of the wood-burning stove. The wood-burning stove is able to use its gifts and provide warmth. No, uh, it was made that way. It was given that gift, and it's really the fuel, and it's the fire. It's the spark that's providing this atmosphere. And, in fact, that couch is providing a place for others to sit and to enjoy that atmosphere, to enjoy the warmth. Likewise, we shouldn't look at the use of others' gifts and become jealous of them if indeed they are spiritual gifts, because this is just the spirit lighting on that person in a particular way that's geared towards them. We as the couch shouldn't want to be, have Kindle placed on us very carefully and to have a little bit of lighter fluid start a fire on us because it will be for the destruction of the body. Likewise, some of you should not use your gifts in certain ways because the spirit has not touched you in those ways. And to do so would be destructive rather than creating a warm, creating a loving in this case, church. At verse 18, Paul goes on, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members in one body, but one body. So again, he comes to this idea of unity and diversity being in harmony within the church. There is great diversity in the task that Christ has given us, in the tasks that Christ has given us to fulfill. Think about the various ministries in this church and how many things are going on within the different ministries, how many different gifts are being used. Even within individual gifts, we see them being exercised in individual ways. After the service, I've seen the gift of exhortation with some saying, exhorting young men not to crawl under the chain and to try to go up the stairs into that top area because there's a danger there. Exhortation. Likewise, somewhere in this church, there will be an older man exhorting a younger man to be pure with his girlfriend. Exhortation, real danger, real warnings. There's a diversity within that gift. Likewise, hospitality. Some of you have entertained pastors and elders in your homes this week. You've entertained those who lead. Others of you have entertained strangers who don't know Christ, seeking to lead them to Christ. Hospitality being exercised for the benefit of the body in two very different ways. Hospitality is everywhere. How about the gift of teaching? Earlier, uh, earlier there were Sunday school classes going uh, full speed. And some of them, for instance, the high schoolers, I think, were learning about the Westminster Confession of Faith and the great doctrines that are, that are in that document. Others, in Sunday school classes, right now, Children's Church, children's church correct? Um, there, are, there are children learning about great saints of the faith in the Old Testament. And these are very different classes, very different types of teaching, and yet they're being used. So if there's that much diversity within individual gifts, think about all these gifts working together for the glory, for the praise of Jesus Christ. Not everyone's a preacher, and this is good. This is a blessing, because some of you are gifted in other ways with, to show hospitality. There's a real danger for us to see ourselves as not having any gift and to see others as not having gifts that we need. In verse 21, he goes on, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We have different ministries functioning in this church 
And if they start contending with each other, their great problems are, are caused by that, and there's division. There's not unity in the spirit. The Hesses, for instance, have a great concern for the physical safety of people in this church. And so they're compelled. They feel a deep concern for having CPR classes, CPR training, first aid training, because they care about the physical well-being of the members of the church. And that's a beautiful thing. David Canfield has a deep concern for the sexual purity of the men of the church, and he's taken that on as his call, as his office, as his drive. Now, these ministries are different. They should not be contending with each other. There shouldn't be a thought that, well, what's more important, that people be sexually pure or that that they be physically safe? Uh, Without physical safety, uh, you might die. You might not even have a chance to grow spiritually later on. And so that's more important. Or you might say, well, sexual purity is more important because that, your, your soul's at stake with sexual purity. And so you contend with, with CPR training. No, these can exist alongside of each other in harmony with each other, not contending. But in our earthly nature, we want to contend. We want to make this into a club where we vie to have our gifts be the ones that are exalted our ministries within this church to be the ones that are exalted, that get the attention, that get ultimately the honor, whereas it's in the spirit, the spirit pours out on this body gifts for the honor, gifts of honor for the members which lack honor. Those which are deemed less honorable, Paul says, on those we bestow more abundant honor and on our less presentable members and our less presentable members become more, much more presentable. And so, Your tendency may be to say, I have no gifts that can be used for this church. This cannot be possible if you have the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit, when poured out on you, commissions you to a task and to an office. If you have no gifts for this church, you have no Holy Spirit in this church. But the encouragement is that God is delighted to use the humble gifts, the small gifts. He's delighted to use that widow's might. That little bit that you can give, God can work mightily through that. And your gifts that you think dishonorable, he can. So what is keeping you? What is keeping you from the use of your gifts? Is it scheduling constraints? Is it a matter of priorities? Is it a matter of thinking yourself ill-equipped? Why? Why, individually, do some of us come to the church as a place to get our needs met rather than to get an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to meet the needs of others? Why is this? Well, there is a great beauty in the church when we catch a vision for the Holy Spirit being poured out in the church for the benefit of everyone. There is a great beauty here. And why? Well, because of the collective responsibility and the interdependence that exists, spoken of in verse 26. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You are Christ's body. You are. And you exist to meet the need, not your own needs, but the other's needs. And we have a glorious head to follow after. And we are members of our glorious head, Jesus Christ. The question is not, are you going to be a member? 
The question is going to be, what type of member will you be? You'll either be a lame leg or a strong leg, but you can, if you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot escape your function as a leg. Christ is our glorious head. Think about Bob Kaplowitz. Bob Kaplowitz has a glorious head on his shoulders. He has a glorious mind when you get to know Bob. He typed his memoirs with the use of one pinky. Glorious mind, but a body that's lame. A body that's paralyzed. Except his pinky. And that came in very handy as a part of his body. Likewise, we have Christ as our glorious head. We have Christ as the one to lead. We have Christ. Think of of his humility in using broken, sinful vessels. In using those who think that they're ill-equipped. Think of Christ's humility. And yet, is it humiliating for Jesus Christ to have us as his body, the church? By no means. It's not humiliating for him because of the glory of his Holy Spirit who he has sent to empower us. And by this, we make the church more glorious. The bride becomes more glorious for the bridegroom. It's easy for us to despise the gifts that are truly great. When you see parents who are pledging uh, to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, this is something that the world disdains as nothing. The gift of children, the gift of motherhood, fatherhood, is something that the world disdains in comparison to individual satisfaction through, through career. And yet, the mothers, the fathers of our church are our glory as a church. Likewise, we shouldn't disdain the lesser gifts, the gifts that we see as humble, that we see as not deserving glory. We need to cultivate interdependence and this empathy that's talked about where we feel uh, when others hurt. We are a family and we are one in Christ. Uniformity is not our aim, but unity and diversity, but never division. Diversity for the sake of unity in Christ. So where must we go with this? If you realize, yes, I haven't been using my gifts. In fact, I'm not sure if I have gifts. The answer is simple. It's not simplistic, but it is simple. The answer for us as a body is to cry out for the Holy Spirit. The answer is that we, with one voice, cry out for the giving, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we can be equipped to do the various ministries that he has given us to do. We must not approach this with the mentality that the world has. We must not view this as simply discovery of what our natural abilities are and honing those. We must see this as a discovery of supernatural gifting that we don't have in of ourselves, but we need desperately from the Holy Spirit. This is not a message that comes to us about spiritual gifts. This is a message that comes to us about the Spirit himself. It's a message that comes to us about our great need for him. We must cry out for this gift of the Spirit. Imagine that the Spirit, if the Spirit were to awaken in this congregation and to do miraculous things in our midst. Well, first, we must cultivate a childlike dependence on the Holy Spirit, but not a childish selfishness towards the use of our own gifts. You must not be timid when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. You need to pursue these. And so our prayer must be that the Holy Spirit would come, that he would visit, that he would dwell, that he would empower, that he would keep, that he would glorify himself, glorify the Father, and glorify 
the Son in our midst. Let's pray towards this aim.